0: Morning. Thank you all very much for coming today and to Carol and Terry and um, uh, Karen for inviting me. Lovely to be here. I'm going to start off with some futurology a la Cassandra. And I'm going to, uh, I, I promise I won't end on a negative note, but let's just do some worst case scenario planning. Well, I've been asked to look at the future of higher education policy. <clears throat> And my concern is that we will continue with this intensification of the political rationality of neoliberalism and the forms of government that that's involved. Now we've already talked about privatisation. Britain is. One of the few countries left in the world that doesn't have a huge private sector in, in higher education. So you can see it coming. And when I've talked about this around the world, they've looked at me in utter amazement. You know, Places like Japan, Korea, the US have huge private sector, higher education. So what is the panic uh, in, in Britain about this? Well, there's, there are concerns about deregulation. Financialization, and what I mean by that is the only value in town is the economic one, so just to give you an example of that, uh, my managers in Sussex, when I get a new research grant, they never actually ask me what it 's about, what new <laughs> new knowledge I will be creating, discovering, unearthing, etc. they always want to know how much is it for so every value is reduced to finance, and your academic identity is all about how much income you can generate. And then of course we have that ubiquitous term of globalisation where the, not only the policies transfer across boundaries, but the values do too. Uh, we talk, Roger talked a lot about quality assurance earlier, and as you all know, Britain has the most audited higher education system in the world. But we have exported this. Uh, <laughs> Hong Kong has. Uh, 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 RAE, REF etc luckily some of our uh, colleagues elsewhere are a bit more critical and they're resisting so Italy has resisted the research excellence framework, Sweden has too on the basis of why double count, stuff has already been reviewed by peers the peer community, why go and do it all over again at a huge uh, uh, cost so globalisation is about the transfer of values as well as the melting of borders and then this lovely new term that i've come up come across recently uberization uh, you know where uh, higher education is gradually getting deprofessionalized anybody can come in and run it it doesn't matter if they have any background whatsoever in providing the service uh, you just find out what the customers want and you tailor and customize and give them, keep them happy, that's the main thing, as Liz was saying earlier. It's all about the happiness formula, nothing to do with actual teaching and learning. Okay, so just to uh, remind you about Wendy Brown's wonderful book, where she talks again about the term homo economicus, all conduct is economic. Everything is reduced to its, its uh, metrics and economic terms and its values, and even areas that are not anything to do with finance, are monetized like student satisfaction. That has been transformed, recast, in terms of money and investment. So what I mean when I'm talking about neoliberalism, I'm conscious it's a term that has kind of monolithic understandings, and people use it almost as a term of abuse. It's as... It's like calling somebody a racist to call them a neoliberalist now. Um, but it's uh, how has higher education and neoliberalism become so entangled? So there's the, the, there are these narratives of the state failure. Carol asked us to address the white paper. Look through it. You know, just, just It's all about failing crisis of the public sector. We're all hopeless. It's the 1980s Michael Hesertine narrative revisited we have to roll back the uh, frontiers of the state the failing state Uh, let's look to the private sector they're the ones who know how to do it properly we are all the incompetent idiots who need direction from the private sector and this permeates all the 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 policy literature whether it's to do with higher education the health service schools uh, Jane Kenway, Stephen Ball's old term, discourse of derision, is, uh, perhaps re- re- relates to this. And then there's this generalisation of the economic form to all social fields. Everything can get reduced and exchanged into monetary values. Human beings, in all these policy documents, are reduced to human capital, and it's all to do with the World Bank growth Uh, narrative. And uh, everything is to do with investment. So we invest in ourselves. You can uh, ask huge amounts of fees from people because it's seen as as an investment. We invest in our networks. So all our contacts have monetary value. We invest in our organisations. It is all about investment. And the rankings and the rating systems determine value. So the prestige economy is dominant. And everywhere I go in the world, everybody wants to be in the top 100, as if we can all be there. Uh, But still, it's a huge aspirational framework, which, again, has economic return. The higher you are in the uh, global league tables, the the higher the fees you can charge. And the ratings they govern... Uh, research, they govern pedagogy. Who's getting the research funding? It tends to be the elite organisations and elite people. Um, the phrase live and let die, Foucault predicted all of this in his Collège de France lectures on the uh, bio, bioethics, biopolitics. And this is the ethic that we work with now. Uh, we, uh, it's all about competition. We don't worry about what's happening anywhere else. We put all our energies, all our investment, all our time into our own uh, immediate environment. So we survive as individuals, as institutions, and to hell with the rest. The market will sort it out. The market will purge uh, the the, the sector of anything that is failing, as um, Roger said earlier. And education is all about attracting investors. The employability discourse is all about how do you make yourself more marketable, so employers will invest in you in the future. It is all about investment. It is a heavily financialized discourse. The values are reinforced by funding regimes. If you don't comply, you don't get the money. And this is extremely worrying in terms of the research future for academic research. Uh, but so much now is led by policy, and it's the people who uh, embrace the values of the status quo are more likely to get research funding. And so there's this beneficence of the state if you share the values. So if we all uh, agreed now to do random control trials as our main methodology for research, we'd be more likely to get research funding. There is also the fear uh, that Liz started to talk about, what do we... what is this privatised higher education sector going to look like? Well I have researched this in sub-Saharan Africa and they are diploma mills. They are pack in and pile high. I went into classrooms that look like football stadia. There are so many people in there and basically they are anti-critical spaces of learning. They're not about critical thinking. They're about a straight exchange you pay your money, you get your diploma. And what is very noticeable, uh, and whenever we have international guests coming to stay in Cheer, this kind of erasure of alternatives in Britain, that everybody, whether you believe it or not, everybody has to perform the same narrative, the neoliberal narrative. Everybody has to aspire to the indicators that are being uh, dictated to us. So, there are very few alternatives to this economic rationality. Now, uh, we had a Swedish visitor who every day in cheer, she was with us for six months, saying, why do you put up with all this in the UK? When she asked us, what time do you go for lunch? And we all laughed, (laughs) where's your coffee room? We all laughed even louder. Uh, why do we put up with this accelerated academy with such po- appalling employment conditions and this constant onslaught of neoliberal policy initiatives? Well, I would look to Wendy Brown here and say that there has been a stealth revolution. Neoliberalisation, as Brown said, has been more termite-like than lion-like. It's crept in slowly in a very abstract quixotic uh, kind of way the norms and the hegemonies are so powerful that they determine all the rationalities and as Brown was saying democracy has been eroded when I was first a, pre- uh, a professor in, in the UK in, uh, in the University of London Institute of Education professors were actually consulted on all <laughs> appointments <laughs> policy strategies now everything just goes on uh, without us uh, it's the, the senior management team who make all the decisions. And then there's been a very clever appropriation of the vocabulary. So, if you, again, if you go back to the white paper, it's all about choice which everybody says, oh, that's great. It's about growth. Even they've used the term empowerment in some of the policy documents. So it actually looks as if uh, they are advocacies for the consumers, for the oppressed, for the downtrodden. But we know that's not the case. We know that this is a rhetoric used to uh, assassinate the public sector in order to ripen it up for privatisation. So just to give you a quote from David, this is about governing through unhappiness. Heat up the floor to see who can keep hopping the longest. And that's about individuals, and that's about institutions, it's about whole nation states, even regions. Let's purge anybody who can't take it. It's a massive virility test. Why does it matter? Well, it's all about individual agency, it's all about um, uh, completely overcoming, uh, ignoring the structures of inequality, as Liz was saying. Uh, We look at individuals, not collectives. And the social is all about the entrepreneurial. So the the successful (coughs) academic these days is a successful entrepreneur. And metrics, as Kathleen Lynch said, imply norms. And to invoke Judith Butler, which norms are evoked in judging value? So, a big question which I hope we will debate today... What is the future of counter hegemonic knowledge in all of this? If we're being so heavily neoliberalised, where do alternatives go? So let's now, I'll just shift identity and move away from being Cassandra and become Pollyanna now. Um, and let's think about how we can make alternatives imaginable. Well, I think we have to trouble neoliberal realism and stop this there is no alternative. We have to challenge it. We have to resist being co-opted by narrow policy agendas. We need to inform policy with evidence, not vice versa. We need to challenge and expose the increasing socioeconomic inequalities and inclusions. When the major technocrats in the neoliberal organisations are saying it's failed, like the IMF, <laughs> um, we, we, we've got a problem on our hand. Uh, growth has not happened. And just to finish, we need to reinvigorate knowledge production as a site of transformational possibility, not reinforcing the dominant discourses. We need to transgress and re-signify and identify new optics, i.e. not a neoliberal one, and discursive formations for viewing the social. And what I think is so important is that we engage collectively in some futurology. So let's try and imagine the future that we want to see and stop performing and complying the one that we don't love. Thank you very much.